Welcome to the conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galena. Hello, Henrietta. Hi, hi, Jason. How are you? I'm surviving, not thriving. (laughs) Well, we have guests this week, Henrietta. We're very excited. Yeah, I'm super, super excited to have um, these guests on. And I, I know that these are people you know very well. So why don't you, why don't you introduce our guests? Sure. So today we're going to be talking to two amazing people, friends and collaborators of mine, Gabriella Karifa Johnson and Ronan McKenzie, uh, stylist and photographer extraordinaires. Hello. Hello, guys. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the conversations. We're very excited to have you here, and um, and we're going to dive right into it, Henrietta. And we are. We're across three time zones and fairly limited Wi-Fi, so let's do this. <laughs> Make it work. Hit it, Henrietta. Okay, well, why don't we get started, I guess, with both of you contextualizing for our listeners exactly like who you are, what you do, where you're from. Why don't we start with uh, Gabriella? Sure. Um, hi, everyone. My Hello. name is Gabriella Carifa Johnson. I'm the fashion director of Garage Magazine, which is a biannual high fashion and fine art magazine based out of New York. Um, as a fashion director there, I do a lot of styling and a lot of concept creation and ideation in terms of what we want to put out into the world as the Garage Voice. Um yeah, and I guess I, I'm from California originally, but I've lived in New York forever. It's been a very long grind and trying to carve out a place for myself within this industry. And I feel maybe this year for the first time feeling as though I have a little plot of a little plot of ground to kind of like move around in. So I've been focusing on trying to use that space to communicate the stories of people that I feel have largely been uh, ignored or misrepresented throughout the legacy of fashion, which I feel is uh, probably a shared objective along the lines of people on this call. Uh, <laughs> For sure. And, you know, doing my best every day to kind of keep up the good fight, I guess. Yeah, I love that. It's you, and this year has definitely been a great year for you. Um, and then Ronan, um, how about you? Um, well, I'm Ronan and I'm a photographer primarily, but I also direct and do other things here and there um from and still based in London and I guess a lot of my work is to do with creating better more honest representations of women especially um black and ethnic minority women so that's kind of encompasses my whole practice and a lot of my work is also to do with like relationships and family and kind of just like creating more images that have meaning and I guess show more of what my life look, looks like and what the, the lives of the people around me look like and more images of kind of love and joy. So that's, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. I love that. Excellent. Well, ladies, I, I was particularly, uh, Henrietta is more familiar with you guys. You, you have all worked together before and I have been a, sort of an outside observer 
but um, I have paid attention to both of your works, and I I find that you are both um, impacting culture, shifting culture in a significant way. Certainly, where uh, where imagery is concerned, and where visual narrative narrative is in concern, and I think that you guys are impacting images on a way where it, it iconic images are being created on your on your watches, and also to that end, you've been incredibly inclusive, as Ronan just outlined. You've been you've changed the face of what is included in that narrative and it's been evident it's been great and it's been consistent now we have been met with this incredible <laughs> world event and um henry and i have stayed on top of these issues and by no means do we feel that this is a time to backslide on, on anything or to in interrupt any of that progress but however <laughs> this is massive this is unprecedented What's what's your perspective on where how we can take this movement forward? How we can continue with it? And do we do you feel that you're going to still have the same empowerment that you had before this crisis? And I also want to caveat that just to add to that with uh, the more tactical element of obviously this is a global pandemic; it's unprecedented. But brands are, or you know, predominantly fashion brands, publications are really shifting the way that they're going to approach everything moving yeah. forward. So I think within mm -hmm. that, I'm interested <clears throat> in hearing how you see it moving forward, both from an ideological standpoint, but also just like the brass tacks of how businesses have to operate moving forward. Yeah. Um, Shall I go first? <laughs> go for sure. it. Yeah. Okay. Um, one thing that I have really been taxing over and thinking about is that when we approach these moments of, you know, quote, air quotes, crises, and where we are forced to really collectively re-examine the systems in place, what I have found is that the powers that be whether it's huge heritage brands who actually have the resources to radicalize the way we approach the industry or editorial platforms like monthly magazines that have a subscription base to keep bankrolling these projects, rather than thinking of new ways of communicating fashion to the world, new ways of creating imagery, there is this like real reluctance to think radically, like instead of really changing the philosophy about how we how we share our art with the world, there's always this, it feels to me, this real interest in like recoiling even further than we would be in a normal landscape. Like this idea of really like retroactively returning to the foolproof systems. And in a lot of ways that disempowers the people who have worked throughout decades, years, generations to find that voice are now all of a sudden in a place where we aren't given the opportunity or the resource or the, the space to explore new ways of thinking because there's so much fear about retaining the status quo. Yeah. If that makes any sense to you all, I just really 100%. feel like there is this real resistance to trying to revolutionize this industry. And it's something that we feel on a micro scale every day, but in the face of such a macro shift in the way we're working, it's really become evident to me that those people in positions of power, those magazines, those fashion brands, those photographers, those stylists, those makeup artists, those hairstylists, the idea is how can we be as safe as we can to make sure that we maintain the way that this industry works rather than how do we reframe and reshape this industry to be successful in a new world? I kind of feel, though, that like 
what the beauty of well obviously you know it's a really big and difficult thing that's happening to everyone but I feel like there is a sort of beauty in the fact that it's put everyone or a lot of people in the industry on a kind of a level playing field in that say all photographers or stylists all image makers artists etc are all forced to stay indoors and so only have the means available to them inside their house pretty much and I think there is something really interesting about photographers or me for example as a photographer um having only myself and my partner who I live with as a subject or um only having so much to work with and I don't have uh, like huge studios or you know a huge set or things like that to work with and I think that's actually really interesting because so many photographers are trying to find ways to create images and I think what uh, from what I've seen on Instagram so far or what people are putting out it's people are kind of responding to it in really interesting ways and I think it's actually quite nice that for once there's sort of nobody has well obviously relatively but people don't have much more than anyone else to work with and I think that's quite special because the fashion industry is so hierarchical and it's not very often that everyone's sort of on the same on the same page and has the same means to work with um and I completely see what um, you're saying Gabby about um you know magazines trying to retain um you know their importance and brands and things like that but I actually think uh, a lot of people are like creating self-portraits and I've been asked maybe three or four times and this has only been going on for a few weeks to do portraits of myself at home for uh, branded content not only just editorially and I think it's it's really going to see a big shift because obviously fashion is one of the I think is one of the first things to go when there's a crisis because people don't you know necessarily need luxury items or mm-hmm. things like that um and so I think it's really interesting that even though it's not something that people need people are still sort of craving interesting imagery to look at and also seeking inspiration and we're kind of getting uh we're seeing that well with me I've been painting I've been sculpting I've been making clothes I've been doing things that I wouldn't normally give myself the time to do because I don't really have jobs on and I think a lot of photographers and artists are kind of spreading out in that way so after this is done that's not going to stop I'm not going to stop painting because I go back to work as normal and I think that opens a really uh, interesting and um, important conversation for where where we're going to be and what sort of jobs will be offered afterwards. Mm. That's, yeah I, I mean I, I think I agree with both but I think more to dig into elements of what Gabriela spoke to is this idea of going back to the status quo because it's tried and tested, like fashion does recoil. It's very much like, we know what works, we know what doesn't. That lack of investment and that lack of, um, not even adventure, but that lack of dating to to do the unknown because you don't know what the ROI is. But also to Ronan's point about that level playing field, I mean, Instagram and all of those social channels are flooded with selfies and TikToks and very lo-fi content uh, that's, you know, cheap to produce, easy to make at home. But do you see that as being sustainable? Do you see that as being the future of how we're going to make images? I mean, the, the one thing that you both have in common is creating these really strong and impactful like your images throw a punch, they say something politically, culturally, they say something about where we are, not just as it pertains to inclusion and representation, but about just humans in general and emotion. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't see that in bedroom selfies and TikToks, if that's the temperature of where we're going. Do you, do you know what I mean? So how do you see, yeah. that? How do you see that moving forward? I think that, yeah, maybe not in like bedroom selfies and TikToks, but I think, well, personally, I mean, I've been taking self-portraits 
um, here at home. And I think I've been able to create something that is completely different from what I normally do, which is having somebody else as a subject. And I think things like that will definitely have an importance. I mean, I also think that because fashion is not going to be the same in the next few months. Like, I mean, is June fashion week even happening? And then who knows what's happening in September? And I think so much of no everything's been cancelled I think for this yeah week, for the remainder well, has of the year. yeah has September been cancelled though I don't think it will not a, I think it will but be. that's the thing like if if will designers still be making clothes on at the rate that they normally do if stores are not buying if people are not buying the clothes and we'll, I think that will probably change how magazines look um more than how people will make images well I I, I'm still interested. I, you know, um, allow me allow me to sort of like feel that there may be, there will be a semblance, a significant enough portion of this industry that will remain where visual, where images are concerned. And you know, hopefully, you guys will will have will have jobs, and you will continue to impact. You will continue to impact culture in the way that you have been doing so. And because I'm I'm acutely interested in this point of change, and that being changing the visual perceptions in regards to the subjects that you use. And I think that has been the most uh, definitive part of, uh, you know, allow me to say this, but the most definitive part of both of your resumes, at least in recent times, at least that's what I have responded to. So I am I am still very interested. I understand now that we're thinking a little bit more intimately, as you just said, Ronan, we're going, you know, you're, you're, forced, you're forced inside the house and you, you're taking portraits of yourself and so forth and things that are immediately available to you. But as Henrietta outlined as well, you guys are known for these, uh, a particular type of, of, of imagery. Uh, Gabriella, you, you mm-hmm. go to these far-flung addresses and they're these sort of like highly, highly styled, incredibly impactful, arresting images. And you, Ronan, I mean, you may be more studio, but those images really tell something about the human, about the human character. And so we're limited now, but when you're able to get back to those spaces that you've been working in, that you're clearly are very comfortable in, what is that narrative and how much control do you think you will still have? Or is it premature to ask that question? Well, one thing that I think has become really clear is that for populations that haven't been given the same platform in terms of like reach, in terms of what is designated as fashion, what is designated as chic, what is desirable, speaking personally as a fat black fashion editor, what has become abundantly clear in this moment is that when you can't ship a size zero sample to a model to take a mirror selfie so that you can get your credit into your magazine, really what a lot of these editorial platforms are relying on is the cult of personality. And I think that the people who are demonstrating their value in terms of who they are as people, how they self-express, what their community is like, who their family is, what their audience is like. Those people happen to be the people who aren't normally given the platform to speak out. Wow. That's so interesting. Is such an incredible model and the most beautiful human inside and out. And the reason why people are now interested in adopting you know, adopting the spaces that are normally occupied by fat, black, funny people, amazing queer artists, people with something to say is because you can't, there isn't much to look at. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's so interesting though, because my answer was almost instinctually the opposite. 
I think given my vantage point from marketing and branding from that perspective, I was thinking that this shift could have implications to those exact people you're speaking of because we know that fashion has been largely thin, white, straight for a very long time. And we know that that's what sells uh, on mm-hmm. a mass perspective. So actually looking at it from a sales fashion marketing perspective, I was actually really nervous that we're going to go back to that very singular status quo. But actually what mm. you just said just completely actually just cracked something open for me that actually is obviously far more positive and inspiring. Um, but yeah. a real a real possibility, actually, when you talk about the cult of personality, that's absolutely, I think, spot on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think in a way, both are very true. I think that fashion is going, has demonstrated that it has tried and true methods on how to sell. And that typically is via the vehicles of, you know, thin, white, Eastern European models, straight models. And I think in a lot of ways that will remain, at least from a commercial standpoint. As we know, like the seasons that are selling anyway, they're in stores right now, they're shoppable online, all the free collections, the resorts, those kinds of money-making media are always going to exist and they're always going to skew more commercially. But what that does is that opens up, at least from an editorial standpoint, this opportunity to like, rethink what those images really should be communicating. Like at the end of the day, are we selling clothes when we make, you know, a monumental image that I think might, that impacts the way people are looking at fashion? Kind of, but really the, the, the point is to be filling these spaces with voices that aren't normally heard. And the, when those voices are interesting and are going on Instagram live and are, and, and this is not to say that I'm like, Everybody should be doubling down and working on putting themselves out there in this moment. I think that all of us can totally take the time to breathe and think and reevaluate the way we want to be engaging with this world. But I do think that those voices are being upheld in a way that they don't when we're when we're totally uh, glued to traditional image making. But if the if but even though the the objective isn't always directly to sell clothes, isn't that where the money comes from? It comes from the advertising. Advertising mm-hmm. based on brands who are able to spend that money based on clothes that are sold. It comes from studios that are able to be open because brands do their advertising there and create content there based on budgets that are founded from clothes that are sold. So I do think that that's largely the implication. It's all propped up based on sales, which is where everything is everything from you know stores to the more kind of um secondary or tertiary connections of makeup artists and uh set designers mm-hmm. it's all propped up on sales of clothes so that's what mm-hmm. i'm saying is there going to be more of a transactional element to image making where you might not necessarily be able to cast the people that you think are as interesting or work in a way that you think is more interesting or yields what your main objectives are as a photographer and the same with you Gabriella in terms of how you style is it going to have to be more prescriptive is it going to have to be more I understand what that is I need to you know click through to purchase are magazines and publications going to be focused on revenue versus storytelling like those are all the questions that I have for you guys, if, you, <laughs> if you're picking up all of the above, if you're, if you're picking up what I'm putting down, <laughs> I don't necessarily think that there will be a big backtrack in that way. I mean, from my perspective, um, because I mean, the briefs that I'm still getting in at the moment, which all are to be shot whenever this period is over, everything is like without dates, probably similar to you, Gabby. Um, 
are people are very much interested in the types of things that I was already shooting, which is different types of women, real people, real bodies, that same thing. I don't necessarily think that because of this situation, people are going to want to, well, the type of brands that were already open to shooting different kinds of people and telling telling different kinds of stories are going to backtrack because there are always going to be very different clients and there are going to be brands that want to do the straight white thing and there are going to be others that want to maybe have some content that is more narrative. Um, And I actually think that with all of this, people, as you kind of said, Gabby, people are really more interested in stories and what people's lives look like and what their community is like and how they're getting through this time. So I could only imagine and maybe hope a little bit that after this, that that kind of spirit continues and that that translates through to fashion and through to commercial content. But as it comes to as it comes to brand advocacy, for example, uh, I, I still think it begs that question: Are we going to be falling back on, say, commercial, uh, easy to digest, safe images to tell our story, or we're still going to hold to strong imagery because strong imagery fuels essentially brand advocacy? I think the, if you don't mind me responding, Ronan, I think that. The saving grace here, for better or for worse, is that there is still very much this commodification of the authentic. Yeah, completely. Ah, uh, ooh, ooh. And I think that whether it is genuine or not, usually not. People, yeah, usually not. People want to make money off of how inherently dope and beautiful Black people are, how creative they are, how fat women who are confident have something about them that somebody who moves through life easier doesn't always have. And as long as companies get money from it, whether or not, you know, the it's an actual defiance of the status quo or whether it is adapting to a new normal for me, I'm like, I see W's everywhere. Like it's a win for me regardless. So (laughs) let's just like try and make it, let's try and make it something that we at least have ownership over or at least have input in. I'm sure Ronan, as you were saying, the companies that come to you, they come to you because they love your work. They understand at least superficially yeah. your practice and they know that it works. Yeah. Can work for them. And also, I think on any given shoot or on any given set, there's going to be space for you to create that iconic image that you might love. And there's going to be the shots that the, the brand actually want to use. And there might be a disparity there. And I think it's about as a creative or as an artist trying to find the opportunities to create beautiful, strong images that are going to respond to people and putting those out regardless. Mm-hmm. But you're still, you're still trying to project your values through yeah, that lens. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting because I think at a, at a level, and this is totally um, self-reflective. And I think in a lot of ways, there are insecurities that I have moving in this space because I am very keenly aware of the idea that, a lot of the freedom that we have to create those iconic images comes from trust in a client and a brand and a magazine that Mm. inherently like operates differently than I do. Like I've had to, you know, I'm playing a game to get to be to a point where my opinion is valued Mm. and the game you have to play leading up to those decision-making moments sometimes doesn't feel good. Like sometimes it's icky to be like, okay, well, I know that if I shoot all of my advertisers, then I'm going to have another opportunity to do the story that I really want on the back end. But shooting my advertisers, 
I need to shoot Dior or I need to shoot Chanel and you'd be lucky if you get a size four out of that sample set. So I know that I need to like compromise what I want to be photographing in terms of subject. And those kinds of compromises are strategic in that they get you to a place where then finally your your opinion is valued, your your perspective is respected. And in a lot of ways, I'm still on that journey. So there are times when I feel like the images that I'm creating do have, you know, there is some sort of concession involved. It's not always what I want to be out in the world, but I do think that the process of getting to a place where we can actually be changing this conversation. That's the thing. I think, well, oh no, I was just going to say that's like a really, really good point that you make Gabby, because I think there are different ways to look at it. And I think that in some ways as a black woman in this industry, I need to make, I I could make certain compromises um, or I could do certain things to get to certain places that might put me in a position of more power to make decisions. And, and like you said, to change um, the industry and what it looks like. And I think that's a very personal thing because I I was thinking about that a lot last year um, after a couple of shoots that I absolutely hated that were shoots that could have, got me to positions to work with this person or be on the cover of this or do this or do that. And I had to make a really important decision personally that I myself am happy to go the long route if it means that I don't have to compromise in ways that I don't want to. And I think that's this actual period of time for me really solidifies those decisions that I've been making because I think this industry is a really, really special one, but it's one that is can be very, very brutal and very harsh. And I think this time is a really good time of reflection for me to decide or to at least continue my journey of what do I, what do I want my everyday life to look like and feel like? And these like commercial versus fashion versus all of these, all of these decisions that I need to, and every other person in the industry needs to make on a daily basis have such a big impact on that. Mm. Well, I appreciate you guys breaking breaking that down because from the outside in, I don't think that the community, the industry, it would necessarily be aware of those kind of compromises or the kind of strategy, let's say, that goes into a Black female um, uh, devising an image or helping to create an image in fashion. Like all of those considerations, I can appreciate that because, you know, we're of, mm. we're of similar worlds, but I, I don't necessarily think that the general population out there understands and while Mm -hmm. you guys are doing uh culture shifting work clearly is not without some side of compromise some kind of compromise Mm -hmm. and definitely with strategy whether that is you ronin who do refuse a job because of a certain thing or whether that's you gabriella that will include a designer because ultimately that'll get you to the next place and you could do things differently Uh I think that level of Uh compromise is also something that I think remains to be seen as we move forward in a post-corona age, because I think that based off the conversations I've been having and also just personal experience uh, when it comes to uh, fashion brands, publications, um, etc., the more quote-unquote superfluous are the first to go. So it's a lot of the creative teams that are going, the creative directors, the graphic designers, that sort of thing. And they're largely the ones that are making Mm. these decisions to actually bake in inclusion 
diversity representation and doing that in a very authentic mm. way. Um, I know that I always made a point to be like, no, no, I'm really going to go there. I'm going to cast that size 30 model. Like I'm going there. Mm. Or I want a lot of my set to be female focused or to be racially diverse. Those aren't coming from the CEOs and the people that aren't really thinking about the themes that we're even discussing on this in this conversation. Their their heads are elsewhere and they delegate that thinking to the creatives who largely are no longer in these spaces or part of these conversations in a corona age because even the creatives that are in the companies and the businesses are somewhat siloed out because no no this is a business conversation now because we need to make this happen we need to get that advertising we need to make those close out so how much of that compromise do you see you know do you think there's going to be a significant compromise before you're able to build up that esteem or do you think that you're going to kind of more power through to keep this lane that you guys have carved out for yourselves I think that one thing that Gabby said which is like not a great thing but works for us is that diversity and being black and all these things are commodified at the moment and do sell so I think regardless of whether it is somebody a great creative director who has an amazing concept or somebody in corporate who decides that we're going to be doing this idea I think either way we're at a little bit of an advantage at the moment um, of being people who are seen as kind of cool or that it sells to be working with people like us or to be telling stories like ours etc so I kind of hope that that maybe pushes through until creativity or true creativity is there's space for that again I'm not sure what you think about that Gabby I think that that I think that that is absolutely the case here and I wonder my only thought is I wonder if we could you we could harness this moment <laughs> to divest from some of these systems because Ooh. I think in a way it's almost in contradiction of exactly what I just said but I wonder if if we were to come together as young black creatives who know that our point of view is being commodified if we were to divest from the white powerful systems that are choosing to allow us to speak right now and withhold, you know? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and, and withhold our creative power and, to, and, and use it to operate in the way that we want to if this is like well, the paradigm, if this is the moment for the paradigm shift wh- why don't that we we're do waiting that? for. Why don't, why can't that happen? Why don't we do that? I love that. I love that recommendation, uh, Gabriella. Like that's, that's the revolution that we need. I just ways. think, go on, go on ahead. I no, I, I, I tend, I think I agree with that because I think the difference is also, yeah, you could commoditize inclusion, representation, diversity, but it's still very public facing. So a really yeah. good example is the it Ronan, the image that we created for Foundation with Lashone versus the yeah. Calvin Klein version. They got Mario Sorrenti to to shoot it, and I think it was starred by Melanie Ward. So the images on the surface look very similar. But the teams that but does anyone but does anyone so who's going to buy it care about that? And that's exactly that that's a, that's I, a, I'm a, not so sure question. of because there have been plenty of times that where I've been on option for something that I could have been perfect for, and the person who ends up doing the job, whose all of my images could have been on the mood board, is not black, is not female. That so I don't actually know. I'm not confident enough even to be so sure that if that did happen if there would still be 
I don't know. If it would work, I don't know. <laughs> right, right. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it will work. The way that it does work is that the people who have been cherry picked and co signed, this is like a whole nother tangent. I don't even know. <laughs> right I'm so ready for I am right so, bring Henrietta, on, could you let her know how ready and for it I am? Bring it on. But also, Jason literally lives for <laughs> these moments. Bring it on. Like, okay, here's my thing. This is a concept that I've been kind of like toiling over that I think might go for it, but also could be completely crazy, which is that the fashion system in terms of agency and representation in this moment, like totally mimics this kind of like creative indentured servitude, which is to say that there are these like very elite agencies who at the exact moment where having the voice that a black young artist has became monetizable, decided to kind of like scour the Mm -hmm. whole industry for the top tier talent that exists within that um, community (laughs) and then own them, like seduce them in the idea that this is the biggest agency in the world. You're going to get $5 million money jobs if you work with us, but you can't work with your community if you join join our agency. So it's like the Melanie Ward, you know, you know, this is not calling anybody out specifically. It's just to say that Melanie Ward is always going to have a certain type of gravitas in this industry because she has been given the tools. She has created a legacy of great image making and she is. And she's kissed the ring and she's kissed the ring. She set herself up as the establishment. You know what I mean? And if you're going to operate in the establishment, you're going to make money because like, that's the way that this industry works. It's like the top talent works for the biggest brands, the yep. biggest brands pay the biggest checks and working with them means that even at an editorial level, your work is respected in a way that it's not if you don't work with them. So when there's an agency that like totally scours this new creative class and decides to like cherry pick who they are going to allow into this establishment mm. and cut off from working with other members of this creative class, it completely like disempowers the idea of there being like this young, I mean, I think, I think the term that we're using now is the new black Vanguard. Right. Thank you, Antoine Sargent. <laughs> but the new black Vanguard has been um, dismantled. And I think the reason why it's dismantled is like, I think the reason why it's been chopped up in this way is for power. Like, I think that the powers that be want to own this place. And it's hard to do that when they don't have a seat at the table. But like, here's the thing, here's the thing, Gabriella, when, when you speak like that, when I have spoken that, when we have spoken like that, it almost seems like when A, you have more information, you're of an industry, mm-hmm. you're an insider. So you have, you have a lot of information as I have done for the last 25 years in this, in this industry. But when you speak in those ways, it's almost like cons- conspiratorial. It's almost like untruths. Mm-hmm. It's almost like something that's been devised by, by you and your cronies. But mm-hmm. I, I, I love the revelation of this, like speaking about the machinations in this business and exactly what you have to do, at least in, uh, for you, your example, what you have done or how you, how you navigate these waters. But the point is that it requires 
like real strategy and ways to create, to, to preserve your cardinal values. And that it might ultimately mean that it disenfranchise you from your community because the power structure was set up to be exactly like that. And so from an outside in perspective, for example, you look at Instagram and you see a lot of like a lot of cool black people seemingly doing things. And a lot of them young would have think that they are arriving, that they have arrived, that they could step into this industry and do what they want on their backs. And I think mm-hmm. what you are, what you're illustrating here, as that I've known, I'm more of a veteran than you are, but um, what, what you're illustrating is just exactly some of the things that needs to be done in order to get on or some of the things that the industry do to the community in order to essentially divide and conquer. I think these are really that important is, times, yeah. things to outline. That is like the eloquent way of saying it. I don't even know. I wish that I had structured the thinking more before. I oh, I, no, thinking, I but... think it was great. Literally, the penny dropped. And also, Jason was like, did we just become best friends? Because he... <laughs> <laughs> this has been a large part of the thinking and the conversation. Okay. Okay. And I think is in honestly, in like a post-COVID landscape, But I feel like for that to happen, there Um, needs to be like a real strong sense of community and a real strong want for black creatives to all have a a singular vision, a singular goal. And I don't actually personally necessarily feel that that strong sense of community where everyone really wants each other to succeed is quite there yet. 100%. 100% Ronan. And I, I that's agree. a huge, huge part of the problem um, in in this business. And yes, yeah. we have to address that first <laughs> before we can talk yeah. about a unified body going forward mm-hmm. and accomplishing yeah. and accomplishing things together. And you know, they have a lot. They have a lot of uh, a lot of people out there, a lot of talents out there, like as you know, scared cats, indentured servants, as uh, as you elucidated, um, um, Gabriella, and and ultimately your 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 power has been eclipsed, and we're just drones going to to. The business of doing whatever we do right yeah it's also the Na- it's also the Na- naomi campbell strategy of you know that person or that person it's me or him mm-hmm. you know it's me or him okay. it's, it's okay. her or me because they're often right. fitted together you see you know one black stylist another black stylist it yeah. becomes an either or and so i think that is a part of the inter-community fighting that needs to get straightened out where it's like okay there's 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 enough there's enough of the pie for all of us. It's fine. I don't need to be the only black creative that has the sunlight. So I think that that is also kind of the environment that has been set up by the system also, because (laughs) you don't get that, I think, in other areas. Yeah. Well, and I... Go ahead. Go ahead, Gabriella. Well, I... (laughs) (laughs) Gabriella, you go. What blows my mind about that, what you just said, Henrietta, is that when you flip the paradigm there it's like nobody is saying there's not enough no but no white stylist no white photographer no white hair and makeup artist is like there's not enough no. room at the top for the biggest kiki at paris fashion week they're all having the kiki so it's like if the black artist i understand that there is this idea of competition but just but just subscribing to that idea is subscribing to that this the idea that this industry is dictated by white people. And I'm like, in what way, like in what way in 2020 is anything that's like poignant, that's interesting, that people are out there trying to buy being dictated by this 
elite class. But that's the gamut. thing. But that's and the thing that it is because that. But it is. That's why I say. Sorry, sorry to interject, but it is because that's why I say the Naomi Campbell strategy. I say that very specifically because there usually was only room on the set for one black model. It wasn't like she could corral the others and be like, "There's room for all of us." That's what I'm saying. It usually is because in these spaces there is one black photographer that everyone's clamoring to work with, etc. That is how it's set up. And that's I think it's I also that, that maybe I, I agree yeah. with you, Gabby, mm-hmm. and Gabby, in the way that you say that uh, it's not white people necessarily at the top of these amazing ideas and these amazing images. Um, but I do feel like there is a sort of self-assurance and a self-confidence that comes with this kind of cliquey, we're the crew type of attitude that I think a, black artists have adopted. Whether mm. they're getting told to work with certain people by their agencies or whatever, mm. I think that there is a we're the crew feeling that people either subconsciously or consciously enjoy being part of and that does hold others back so that's more than Mm. us black the black community of artists not wanting to work together or support each other i think there's still a i'm the one uh and i'm me and my crew type of nature yeah me and my yeah i'm chosen yeah question though do you think that's going to be exacerbated in a post-corona landscape where more people generally are vying for fewer positions as companies, agencies, mm. magazines, etc. go out of business or downsize, but also as there's just less money to go around. Do you think that that whole attitude that we've just been talking about will be exacerbated amongst any marginalised creative community? I don't know. I mean, I hope not. <laughs> I not to make <laughs> not to make your optimism feel bleak. I'm sorry because you were like you out. You were so optimistic, and then I come in and I'm like, but did you think about these things? And you're just like, oh. right? No, for real, for real. I'm like, oh shit, she is. She's talking truth. Um, I think that in uh, immediately, it's so weird to talk in these kind of like in this framework because it's like there is no after Corona yet. Like we don't know. Mm what the world looks like immediately following this lockdown. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think anybody knows when that's, when, when we're going to see any semblance of normalcy. So I'm not sure how we will react to kind of being thrust into this new normal. But I think that in a way having this like downbeat, as Ronan said in the very beginning of this conversation, like this playing field has been leveled. And I think that like we have the opportunity to use this down moment to either like totally supplement the work that we've put out there, like make sure that our momentum keeps going or we can like really regroup and decide like, what do we want this industry to look like and let's make it happen. And I think in a way, maybe it is naive or maybe it is idealistic to think that like all black artists are interested in coming together and creating equal space for all of us. But at the end of the day, it's also like, that kind of conversation is what that kind of conversation is what we actually need to be having to yeah. ensure our future not the idea of like okay well like how do I make sure I'm still at the top of my game and this is over with how do I maintain being a part of that like it crew it really is more like who do I work with to create a completely new modus operandi like a completely new creative class that is going to usher in this new normal. I 100% you know? agree. I, and particularly to the point of collaboration and coming together more so than trying to hunker down and, and carve out more equity for yourself. Because, I mean, look what's happening in the beauty industry and the medical space and 
the manufacturing spaces, collaboration seems to be the thing that is buoying up those entities. So maybe there is some galvanizing of creativity and creatives here to be able to continue forward a lot of these themes that are super interesting, super important, were very prevalent pre-corona that needs to be ushered mm. into this new normal, should we call that? Mm-hmm. Can I just say, I'm so impressed with the way that Jason, Ronan, Henrietta, how you're able to articulate oh my gosh. in like, a non <laughs> <way>. <laughs> No, you don't. I'm you're so fine. Like, don't be silly. You're like so a, fine. You really don't. You really, you really it's don't. Even, but I'm just, I'm really like, you guys need to have a like talk show that's in, in addition to this podcast where people can interact with you live because you are so good on a dime. It's crazy. We actually were thinking about having a call-in element, like, but like old school, like, you know, 90s style MTV call-in component, yeah. which could be quite fun. <laughs> yeah. I just want to say I, as well, yeah, um, in response moment. to what you were saying, Gabby, just now, I think if something was to happen now and there was like a collective discussion or a collective sharing of something within the black artistic community right now, I think that would be something really special and that would be something really momentous if there was a real coming together of some sorts. I'm not sure of what sorts, but some sort of I respect you and I support you something. I think that would be really special. Yeah. Um, well, (laughs) (laughs) you will all be getting a Zoom link. I guess there hasn't been a moment. Well, in the last couple of years, it's been really fast and really quick for a lot of Black creators and Black artists to kind of jump to the forefront of fashion and the industry and what's happening. And given the space across different platforms and magazines, etc., to showcase whatever we want to showcase and there hasn't really been a moment until now of pause and so I think it's a really interesting time to Mm -hmm. to to speak um to speak to each other I love that super important yeah I agree and I think speaking with each other directly is the only way Mm. to have this kind of like unfiltered discussion because I don't want even though in a lot of ways like we've been out here fighting for centuries so it is an us versus them situation but it's also like an us for the sake of us thing so it's like I just don't think I just think that if we can have a conversation all together about the ways that we can harness the very real power that we have to really like reshape this industry like it's the this is the this is the pendulum swinging like this is the paradigm shift and like we can seize it or we can not so that's kind of where I'm feeling. That's what I'm feeling. And I also just resent the idea that success in so many ways, you know, getting a cover of Vogue, booking a Burberry campaign, you know, this success in so many ways is dictated by like the cosign of a group of people that historically didn't give a shit about mm-hmm. us. Like, I know that that is very naive to hold on to, but like I do and I want to create a world in which we can be black creatives that are successful that are booking major campaigns because the person who's outlining the creative team is a black CMO or like the person who is working with you on the creative concept is you know like a fat 24 year old girl queer girl you know what I mean it's like I just think that we have the space 
to do that right now. And the only way to get the point across is to like unionize, like to come I all together. I 100% agree. And I think that's why this is such a sensitive time for this pendulum shift, because while everything was accelerating, you know, everyone's like, everyone's saying that Corona is the accelerator for the themes that were important in fashion, like sustainability, inclusion, diversity, um, you know, climate change. I do think, though, that one of the things that wasn't accelerated as it pertains to any level of inclusion or diversity was what that looks like in the executive corridors, what that looks like internally. Mm. So I think that the reason why this is extra sensitive is because those decision makers still look the same as the decision makers that were mm. in that were creating the, the things that were largely problematic for our community or pushing themes forward for LGBTQ plus community storytelling, any any other level of marginalized um, communities. So that's what remains to be seen uh, because those people are still the same. Right. I agree. But, um, uh, but Gabriella, I was wondering, you know, we were talking about the, unifi- um, the unity um, amongst Black creatives and how that, that is a strategy for sort of like, um, uh, for contending with what's going on right now. But I was also looking at it from the other side. And, you know, based on what I've, I know about you, based on what I've researched about you, um, you, you, have, um, you have been exposed to, say, the power-broken system in this industry, as I have. In fact, I feel like I was Icarus and I felt a little too close um, to the sun. And I, actu- I see how these decisions I may- are made. I see... Who the players are. I see that my kind is not of interest or at least is not of interest um, beyond how they can use, you know, your likeness and so forth. I see how this industry is structured and, great, and, and beyond the industry, how the greater culture is structured. But I'm wondering if that informs your strategic thinking, <laughs> in, in, uh, meaning that on that side, things are so entrenched, are so powerful that if, in fact, we're going to make any changes, that it has to come about through some collective thinking and action in the from the from the community that really has the power but they have to harness their power in order to really really see how how effective they can be with it yeah i i think that that's exactly what the case is here i think that like from being in systems you know i worked at american vogue which i think is in most people's minds like the pinnacle of editor of fashion editorial power, whether it is a relevant publication right now or whether people think that the photography is good in the magazine, that the styling is good in the magazine, that what they have to say is interesting in the magazine, regardless of all of those things, this is the force that is making real decisions in this industry. And I think that as long, even being the fat Black junior editor there that got to get a word in edgewise that like was able to infuse in very minuscule ways some of my ideology into the pictures that, you know, were included in the magazine at my time there. Even with that say, like I I was so easy to own and control and kind of like and kind of like like mascot ties. I don't know how you would make that into a verb. It was very easy to feel like there was like real genuine interest in changing the way that like 
that Vogue looked like internally or changing the way that the images that they put out looked like because I was there, or at least I felt that. And it made me realize that like one person one person isn't going to cut it. Like the only oh, way okay. that we could actually change okay. the language here, mm. the conversation here is if we all a hundred percent are involved. And I think we all have personal um, examples of where being the only one, like you said, just isn't going to cut it. You have to compromise. You have to think about your upward mobility. You have to think about picking your battles, et cetera, et cetera. It isn't a, a single person challenge i think that's that's the point about diversifying these spaces across the board of marginalized and minor, minority communities so there's more equity for everyone but also so that every single battle isn't yours to fight because that does push and develop those tropes of you know being difficult to work with the angry black woman etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah um so i definitely agree about this uh, kind of galvanizing or unionizing of a voice and a and a spirit and a and a vision to Ronan's point though we all have to be on that same page and want Mm -hmm. us all to win and want us all to have equity so yeah this I have to say is a powerful 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 takeaway guys I don't hear this messaging in this industry ever. I have never heard a call for real unification of our community. And if I can take anything away from this conversation, it is that. And surely we can, we will have to speak again. But I think it's, it's all our charges, you know, to take that, to take that script and to, and to do with it as, as, as we're charged. Ashe. Yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> and, and just one last note, if I may. I think that the real hope, uh, as well as obviously equity for all of us, is, I guess, to get back on topic, is um, about having um, real, powerful, compelling, impacting stories, visuals, um, that level of storytelling in fashion, I think that, you know, as much as we talk about the cult of personality and, you know, selfies and all that sort of thing, I don't think that TikTok culture is where it is. I think when we look at your images, the images that you guys have created, it tells so much. It tells cultural stories that are often overlooked. So I do think that strong storytelling is super relevant in a post-corona age, um, to like help us not just shift product and get advertising, but just to help us just move forward as an entire industry. That's, mm-hmm. that's my hope. And that's, that's my fractured thinking around the overarching goal. Um, with obviously mm-hmm. everything that we've discussed and underpinning that. Well, guys, we greatly appreciate your time. I think this was a riveting conversation. I, I certainly have food for thought leaving this conversation. And um, we look forward to speaking to you further in the future. Thank Thanks, you. Yeah, it was no, great. Thank you. Cannot thank, thank you enough. You Such a pleasure. Thank you. you soon. Yeah. Bye. 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 Time for something